morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 17 through 21. Please stand for the reading of the word. Beginning in verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Michael. Um, we are actually yeah, looking at Mark 8. And Michael just read 17 to 21. But we're actually looking at that, that whole uh, section starting in verse 1. And so um, a larger chunk of scripture to check out this morning. I encourage you guys to just... Uh, dig in, engage, uh, take notes as we kind of walk through this, uh, these couple of verses here. Um, as we start, can I just get some group participation, and can you help me fill in the blanks uh, this morning, okay? So if you know the kind of the fill in the blank, go ahead and shout it out. Um, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Okay, great. Uh, maybe you know this one, maybe you don't. Familiarity breeds contempt. Those two statements... Are, are statements that somewhat speak to the human experience for many people. I think as we kind of get familiar in relationships, as we start to walk alongside maybe a friend that, you know, that first uh, summer at summer camp, you meet this friend, and it's like awesome and amazing, and you discover all these new things about them, and as time goes on, you kind of take them for granted after a while. Uh, or, or maybe it's, it's a, a relationship, and yet everything's really exciting at the beginning, but we all know married couples who, though, are physically present, uh, they can drift apart, and we've had moments where we realize how much we, we didn't realize how much we cherish something until it's actually gone after, after time. Uh, I, I believe this dynamic is at play in our spiritual lives, too, and I think one of the real occupational hazards of following Christ is, especially as we come to Christ in our early years or come to Christ in a time where it's, it's, it's really going well and there's a lot of positive things happening I remember when I was a kid, um, I came to the Lord and started to hear more about the gospel and my sin and kind of my response to the gospel as, as a kid with a lot of other students and, and youth group um, kind of experience. Maybe some of you guys had that experience as well. And so it was exciting, and there was a lot of uh, emotion and worship and lots of things where you'd kind of, I remember, you know, being at our camp and, and uh, staying at, around the campfire for, you know, hours just singing songs to the Lord, and there was all this just, this emotion and passion for Jesus but as time goes on, uh, you realize that Christ is always present, he's, he's always there, and it's easy to overlook him uh, as time kind of moves uh, along. We're so used to him being around. We're so used to seeing him everywhere we go. And so the object of this text this morning is for those of us who would profess faith in Jesus and say, yeah, I'm, I'm on board, I'm on that program, right? Like, this is... This is for you. This passage is for you. This warning is do not grow complacent. 
Do not overlook Jesus in your midst. To make this more personal, perhaps you have a hard-heartedness even to the voice and to the will of God. Maybe you walk in a church this morning, honestly, with a hard heart, and, and we kind of go into this programmatic, like, robotic, like, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? And have these conversations on the surface. But honestly, if you were to really sit down with you over coffee sometime this week and really ask you how you're doing, your heart is hard towards the things of the Lord. Your heart is hard towards spiritual truth. And so maybe you walk in that way this morning. So I want to ask you these questions. Are you listening? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to be changed this morning by the words of Scripture? And unfortunately, I think our hearts can be much more hardened than we think that they can be. And so uh, this morning, I have four points. Um, In a way, the first two uh, lends itself to encourage and teach those of us who maybe be seekers. Maybe you're far from the Lord. Maybe you're new to church. And you're not quite sure where you land on this stuff, but you're here. And I'm glad you're here. Uh, the, the latter two points encourage the faithful, those of us who are here every week, reminding us of the real danger that we are always in, in being close to Jesus, but forgetting that he's, he's here next to us. So let's dive in. Point number one, with uh, starting in Mark 8, verses 1 through 10. And we start with this point, the hungry are fed. The hungry are fed. And let's read verses 1 through 10 here. In those days then, uh, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them had come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he immediately sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dal- Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha, that's a new word for us, okay? Uh, so here, here's the good news as we look at this first section of scripture this morning. If you're hungry for the Lord this morning, if you're hungry for God, if you want to be fed spiritually, uh, he wants to feed you. He wants to feed you. That's his posture towards us as his kids. He wants you to grow. He wants to give you good things to eat spiritually. Now, maybe as you've uh, heard this passage, you're feeling a bit of deja vu because you're like, isn't this exactly the same story we read in Mark 6 where Jesus fed thousands of people with fish and bread? It's actually so similar that there's actually many commentators who would uh, kind of try to poke holes in the story and say, Mark had actually run out of stuff to talk about. And so he's just kind of re, kind of regurgitating the same stories and he retells the same things. But I, I think that this is actually a very distinct, different event. And, and let me explain why that is. To start with, we see it in the Bible twice. And so that's just, as a starting place, it seems to be there as a, a secondary story. And, and uh, so that's a good start. But there's even differences in the location. The first one happens on the western side of the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. And this is happening, the second story is happening on the eastern side uh, in the Decapolis, more Gentile territory. 
We also see that the, the amount of people is different. In Mark 6, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. Here, it's 4,000 total all in. It's a much smaller group. We also see the food numbers are different as well. They collected 12 in Mark 6 and 7 baskets in Mark 8. But the big difference I want you to see is the situation that precedes the miracle. So in uh, what we have in Mark 6, Jesus has been teaching all day long. The disciples are starting to get hungry. They're starting to have stomachs that are grumbling. They come up to Jesus and kind of interrupt him and say, hey, it's getting late. What are we going to do with all these people who are hungry, who have been here? And, and so they are like, hey, we should send the people away. And this is much different in Mark 8. It's not the disciples who come up and say, hey, we're getting hungry. It's actually Jesus who, in verse 2, says, I have compassion on the crowd. And this crowd could use some food. And so we have to get them something to eat. Now, in both situations, the disciples say the same thing. They say, where are we going to get food in a place like this? The first time is understandable because the disciples had never seen Jesus do this miracle before. But you kind of have to get a little judgmental here the second time. If you're Jesus, aren't you kind of like, we just did this, right? Like, remember when I provided food before? And Jesus is like, okay, again, give me what you got. And before we're too hard on them, I, I do think it's easier in hindsight to look back and to cast some judgment. But let's, let's kind of de- lean into this doubled up miracle thing here a bit more and pull it from the literary and into our personal lives a bit. Because I suspect a lot of us have done this very similar thing before. And so if you want to play along, I'd love to see you raise your hand here. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that God has answered a prayer of yours before. Raise your hand. First of all, that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, Okay, raise your hand again if you've ever thanked God for answering your prayers. Okay. All right, here's where we get really honest. Raise your hand if the next time you needed something or you faced something impossible, you immediately forgot that God had provided for you in the recent past. Kind of true, right? Like, it's like immediate. It's like, how am I going to take care of A, B, or C? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to deal with the situation at work? God just provided for you, like last month, in the same way. How do we forget so, so fast? It, it, it shows what appears to be this tremendous lapse in memory. And we've all been there. We've all, been, all done that. Witnessing God act in miraculous ways in the past, it doesn't guarantee that you'll trust him in the future. And that's what we see with the disciples here. And that's why they ask the question, how are we going to feed these people? And so again, I would suggest that we have to remain tender-hearted. We have to remain open to what God would do in our lives. We have to be listening. And instead of asking the question, how can the disciples be so dense? It's more important for me to ask, how can I be so dense? How, how, how is it that I keep on asking the same questions over and over again, even though the Lord provides over and over again? And I think we can overlook Jesus in our midst. And I want you to see, again, Jesus' posture is to feed people. He wants to feed the crowd. He wants to feed the seekers. They are hungry to hear from him. This is not, by the way, this teaching time, this time where he's gathered people together. This isn't some you know, short YouTube clip of a preacher preaching that you're watching, you know, uh, in car line or something. You know what I mean, right? Just like to pull that up, you watch something, get a little inspiration. No, this is a crowd that has been showing up and leaning in for three days. They want to be there. They want to 
get something from Jesus. They want to learn. They desire to hear and have themselves be fed spiritually. So Jesus says we have to look after their physical needs as well. It reminds me of a well-loved verse, Matthew 6, 33. It's on the screen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. The crowd has been seeking him to learn, to understand, and to listen, and they're hungry for more. And so I, I just want to say again with confidence that if you are somebody who comes into church every week, if you are opening up your Bible every week, and if you, are, if you truly have a posture where you're saying, Lord, I want to learn, I'm hungry for truth, I want you to know that God's, God's posture is, I, I will feed you. I will give you that truth. He will feed you. And it may not be in the way that you think, by the way. You know, it's possible that maybe during this time where we're all sitting here listening to the sermon that I prepared, I hope so, that would be, that'd be awesome for you guys to pull something from this where God showed you something that's true about his character, about his scripture, about your life and how you relate to him. That could be where you get that truth from. But it could also be in worship. Uh, some of us are geared that way already. Some of you maybe are not. And I just want to encourage you, the next time we, we sing songs together as a church, realize that the songs we're singing are, are usually either great doctrine or straight up just Bible verses laid to harmonies and melodies. And allow that to just sink into your heart and your minds. That could be it. God could feed you through that. It could be a conversation in the plaza after church with somebody in your missional community. It could be on the way, on the way home, unpacking the morning with your spouse or even your kids. I mean, ask your kids, what, what did you learn in, in kids' ministry? And they may surprise you with some amazing thing they talk about. It happens every week for us. But whatever the situation is, each and every one of us who seek truth, seek friendship with the Lord, you will be fed. And I'm not saying that where I'm promising that might happen, that's going to happen today, but if you continue to seek him with righteousness, if you bring an open and willing heart, he will satisfy you at some point. Jesus loves you, he has compassion on you, and he wants to meet you in your needs, but only if you're hungry for it. So this brings us to our, our next kind of group in this passage, the self-righteous Pharisees who demand a sign, and this brings us to point number two. Point number two is this, the self-righteous get nothing. The self-righteous get nothing. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no generation, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So, at first glance, this may seem to contradict what I just said, right? Like, I, I thought you said that if we seek the truth and seek uh, from God himself, Jesus will respond. Now you have these, these guys rolling up, and they're like, hey, we're looking for something. And Jesus says, nope, nothing, nothing for you. No sign for you, right? It reminds me of the soup Nazi from, uh, from Seinfeld, right? No soup for you. Um, like, hopefully it's obvious to you that these groups are very different groups, Hopefully it's obvious to you that their, their postures, their attitudes are very different, right? And in one sense, we have, uh, we, we have these Pharisees who are these religious elite. We've talked about them in the last eight chapters. And these guys, over and over again, they're, they're not humble, not genuine seekers. 
We know since Mark chapter 3, in fact, that their goal, their plan, their, their, their one desire is to kill Jesus. That's what they want to do. They want him dead. And so this isn't a, a group of people coming up and saying, hey, Jesus, we have a question for you. No hidden agenda whatsoever. Just honestly kind of interested. Could you give us some sort of sign? That's not, that's not what's happening here. It's, 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 a, it's a question that they already know the answer to. It throws me back to, to high school, junior year, homecoming dance, and uh, my mom's sitting in a dark living room waiting for me because we're late uh, from curfew, right? And so she asked the question, like, where have you been? Guess what? Mom's not actually interested in where I've been, right? I'm, the, I'm already busted. I'm in trouble, right? That's what she's saying. She, she doesn't really, she's not asking the question in earnest, and that's what's happening here. If you look at the way the Pharisees roll up, look at verse 11. In, in Greek, the word came, in Greek, is the same word that you would use for a military unit advancing. That's how they roll up. This is not a pleasant back and forth. They came to test him. They're not well-meaning. It's a trap, right? Uh, just a smidge of Old Testament history helps us understand this a little bit further. Asking for a sign. What is this all about? Asking for a sign, it's, it's an Old Testament way to kind of vet out these new prophets. Uh, asking for a, a sign and receiving a sign, if they failed the test, if they couldn't produce the sign, in some cases, they would kill that prophet and saying, you're a false prophet. And the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. They're huddled up, right? They're looking over their notes. They're like, what haven't we asked him yet? Where can we kind of nail him? you know what, I bet we can get him on this. Let's make him do a miracle right here on the spot. Let's see what he'll do. Well, the issue with this, as we know, church, the issue is that these guys have seen plenty of miracles already. So they're not asking in earnest. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus uh, heal lepers. The blind could see, the lame could walk. Uh, they, they, he raised a little girl from the dead. They've seen all this already. And so we are reminded that seeing is not necessarily believing. Their hearts are hard. And as a result, it says in verse 12 that he sighed deeply in his spirit. In his spirit, he's frustrated, grieved by their lack of belief, despite the overwhelming evidence. Seeing is not necessarily believing. It makes me think of a scenario that sometimes, I don't know, we talk about you know, in Christian circles, like, what if Jesus came to earth in 2023 and ministered to us today? Like, surely we'd have, you know, more of a reasonable response than the Pharisees, right? We are people of modern times. We have science and technology at our backs. And I think if we're being honest, for all the transparency uh, that, that we have access to, all the technology that we have access to, if Jesus came today, most people still wouldn't believe it if we saw it ourselves. And so Jesus is frustrated. He sighs, and he's like, it's not going to happen. I'm not doing a magic trick for you guys on demand. I'm not a vending machine. And he grabs his guys, and he gets in a boat, and he sails away. And so listen, I, for us this morning, as we look at this passage, if you're at church today, and if the posture of your heart is kind of like, God, you kind of have to prove it. You kind of have to prove it to me. I can't speak for the Lord because he's gracious and he's merciful and he consistently gives people what they don't deserve. 
But if your consistent posture and disposition of Jesus is, is you have to prove yourself to me, I wouldn't necessarily expect very much. Because to be more than fair, Jesus has done all he needs to do to prove himself to you over and over again. We know this from Easter. We know this from the bloody cross and the empty tomb. And if you believe in that miracle, that Jesus died and rose again, then the rest of Scripture becomes more than plausible. And then we look around in community, and we start talking to people at church. And we start to hear about testimonies and people being changed and, and how uh, before they met God and since they've met him, how their life has changed. It, it becomes more and more just like their eyes are open. It's like, wow, God is really at work. God has changed people radically, moving them from their sin into a new life. God has nothing to prove to you. God has nothing to prove to you. But if you're hungry, he will feed you. And if you are self-righteous, you get nothing. This brings us to point number three. It starts in verse 14. Do not miss the obvious. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. All right, let's stop there. Maybe Jesus and the disciples leave in a rush, and they jump in the boat, and they leave. And, and, and they look around in a moment of confusion. It kind of feels like a, like a Typical guys planning for a trip kind of thing, right? Like, they just leave, right? They get in the boat, and James is like, Where, where's the lunch? And Bartholomew's like, I thought that Nathaniel packed it, right? And Nathaniel's like, Peter told me he was going to get it. And Matthew's like, I got mine, right? Like, he's, there's always that one guy, right? Like, he took care of himself. They get in the boat. They have one lunch. They have one loaf of bread, and they freak out. Verse 15, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven was like this fermented dough that you would add to new fresh dough that would cause it to rise. The leaven was related to bread. What's funny is the disciples are fighting about who forgot the lunch, and Jesus says all this other stuff about leaven and Herod and the Pharisees. And honestly, it's, it's kind of like Charlie Brown adult language to them, right? Like, you guys remember the cartoon? I'm dating myself a little bit, right? But like, Literally, Jesus is talking, and they just hear it, wah, 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 and they're just, and they're like fighting about bread and lunch. We don't have any bread. In verse 16, they begin discussing with one another that they actually still don't have any lunch, and I can almost imagine like Jesus' face at this point, right? Like, he's like, what, what's wrong with you guys? They hear what they want to hear. Now, again, about, about leaven, throughout scripture, leaven is not always, but mostly used um, in a negative light. It's a picture of things that spread out in kind of almost a cancerous way. It, do not let a root of bitterness take hold like leaven. It'll spread throughout you. And at this moment, though, it goes over their head. And the truly confusing part is what Jesus says. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But those things are actually very different things. Because the Pharisees are religious elite. They don't care about the Romans as long as the Romans allow them to continue to do their thing. On the other hand, Herod was its puppet king who very much was beholden to the Romans and needed their approval so that he could accomplish what he wanted to do politically. So they're nothing alike except for this one similarity. All the, both of these groups had been witnesses and heard and seen what Jesus had done and yet still did not believe. That's what they have in common. And now these guys are fighting over bread. And Jesus says, you guys better be careful. 
that your that the disbelief that those guys have doesn't spread to you. That's why he brings up leaven. He's like, look, you have to be careful the disbelief those guys have holding on to doesn't spread to you. And this next part is pretty stinging here in verse 17. It, it says this in 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Are you guys, you guys seriously worried about lunch? Pretty sure we can make lunch happen. Jesus just showers them with these questions, and yet there's this kindness in the way he asks because he throws in the word yet. Do you not yet understand? Jesus isn't saying you never will. He's saying you don't see yet, holding out hope that one day they will understand. And from Christ's perspective, he expected, having seen him feed thousands of people with meager rations, there's no conceivable way that they are worrying about how to feed 12 disciples. And yet, that's all they can talk about. You guys see this? The, the disciples are so preoccupied with their immediate physical needs, so much that they neglect to turn to the one sitting in that same, same, same boat, right? Like, who can meet every need that they ever had. Uh, have we ever done that before? Are we guilty of that same type of worry? Are we guilty of that same type of just kind of overlooking Jesus? Have you ever been faced with a material need in your life? Maybe it's, it's bad news, crushing news, right? And yet we don't first turn to Christ. Instead, we turn to something else. The meeting goes bad at work, and so you go home and grab a bottle, right? Like the relationship you have is on thin ice, and so we text our friends and we vent. I do that all the time, right? Like I do the same kinds of things. And I would suggest that it's, it's even more embarrassing for us than it was for the disciples because we believe that Christ died on the cross and took the penalty of sin for all of mankind. We know that theologically. We understand that historically. But then we freak out when we have a bad meeting with our boss and we aren't sure where to turn. Do you guys see how, how crazy that is? Jesus says that it's, it's 11 it's an unbelief that spreads. Your hearts are hardened. Even though he's right here, you don't turn to him. Christ, Christ wants to provide for us. Again, this is the posture of our, of our God. It's, it's kind of like as if I woke up in the morning and, and I came into the kitchen. I got four kids and they're fighting over a bowl of cereal. And they're like, we have to have this bowl. This is my bowl. Actually, this is probably more realistic than... than <laughs> happens pretty often. And uh, there's a brand new box of cereal, right, like on, on the counter. And I'm like, why are you fighting over this one bowl? Like, open up that new box. That's why we bought it, right? That's, that's, why would I care if you open this, this box? And Jesus is like the same way. Look, that's what I do. I meet needs. I've, I've fed thousands, and now you're fighting over lunch. I'm right here. Don't miss the obvious. The sovereign God of the universe loves you and gave his life for you, church. His spirit dwells in you. But it doesn't mean, though, that your hearts can't grow cold. They still can. 
And if we're not careful, just like the disciples, our hearts can even grow hard. This brings us to our last point this morning. Mark's challenge as we close out this passage is for you and I to see clearly. See clearly. Verse 22 says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him, home to, his, sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is a very unique healing. And first of all, it's one of the only times on record we have Jesus spitting directly on another person. Um, secondly, it's the only time that we see Jesus engage in a two-part healing. Uh, apparently the first time didn't take for some reason, right? Like all of Jesus' miracles are kind of one and done. He doesn't need another run at it. But this one, for some reason, he does the healing. He double checks and says, hey, can you see? Did that work? And, and the guy says, I see people, but they kind of look like trees. Like, well, that's not good. Like, that's not good. One more shot, right? So what's happening here, though, I think the, the author, Mark, is he wants us to, to see in the illustration of a two-stage healing for this man and for the disciples and for us that our understanding and our recognition of Jesus does not necessarily happen all at once. I think that's what's happening here, that we grow in our knowledge. We grow in our understanding. And here's the truth. You should know more about Jesus one year from now than you do today. We learn as we go, right? Just the same with anything else in our lives. We learn as we go. And this is further punctuated by what commentators actually refer to as the great continental divide in the Gospel of Mark. So what's happening here between verse 26 and verse 27 of Mark 8? Everything from chapter 1 to this point at the end of 26 is building up so that people would recognize Christ as Messiah, Jesus as Messiah. He's crossing Galilee. He's healing people. He's teaching people about the kingdom. And from this point forward, verse 27 forward, it's the other side. Everything else moves towards Jerusalem as Jesus now looks towards his death. The disciples recognize who he is, but the problem is they don't understand him yet. They don't understand. Uh, they, they say you're the Christ, but they have no idea that that means that he's going to die for them. In other words, their sight, the disciples' sight, also comes in two parts. They will recognize Jesus as Messiah, and then they will understand he had to die for their sins. It doesn't happen all at once. In fact, if you, if you fast forward to Mark 15 and 16, the end of this gospel, you see the disciples start to put it together. They're like, oh, this is what he was talking about. We, we understood that he was God, but now we understand that he actually had to die for us. And I, I think this is kind of what's happening in a, in a way in this passage, this this healing of a blind man at Bethsaida, uh, what Mark is kind of reminding us of is that healing, uh, growth happens uh, in stages. And it happens with us too. Jesus meets us in the same way. And man, we really understand God all at once, right? Think about when you first came to Christ and how passionate you were and yet how like you didn't know anything at all. You didn't know how to 
how to deal with your Bible. You're like, where, where's the Old Testament, the New Testament? You know, how do I read through this thing? Am I supposed to read it chronologically, just like cover to cover? Uh, you didn't know anything about how your relationship with God worked. Do I, do I pray out loud? Am I supposed to like go on a street corner and preach? Like, what's the, what's the purpose of my relationship here? And over time, right, you, you grow and you learn. You learn things about, about how God's created you and, and who you are in his eyes. And we, our vision tightens up on him more and more, but it takes time. Church, God has for centuries been drawing people who are open to him, leading people to himself who are hungry, showing them, teaching them, being patient with them, and changing them. And so the real danger this morning is, is not simply just to overlook Jesus. The real danger is not that you have a hard heart. The real danger is not realizing that you have a hard heart. All of us need to bend our knee. All of us need to listen to the one who's right there in the boat with us. Jesus Christ has given his life for you. He, he loves you. He's got you. And so don't let your heart grow cold. And so as we close, I just want to ask that question again. Do you have a hard-heartedness about your spiritual posture this morning? If you feel that way, maybe it's sometime today, maybe it's with a friend, or just to unpack that. Maybe it's during worship, just to be honest with the Lord in front of worship, laying out your heart and saying, God, I don't, I don't really feel like being here. I don't feel like doing this or, or hearing from you spiritually, but I want to. Tell him that I, I see, but it's kind of like trees walking, and allow him to touch you again so that you can see even more clearly. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've, we've had this morning to, to gather, to, to read your word, to study, Lord. God, I, I pray that you would, you would honor uh, the time spent here, that you would, you would give us more, Lord. We humbly ask for more insight and truth in our lives. And, and Father, we are also confident that you've been reaching people, you've been leading people, and that you desire that none would perish, that, that all would have everlasting life. And Father, if there are people who are far from you today that are hungry, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would meet them and that would, 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 would satisfy them today. And God, I also pray for those of us who are, are here every week, who volunteer, who set up and tear down, who are a part of our church, maybe even members here, but uh, maybe sometimes our heart, our heart is hardened to you. And, and we walk into these doors and we're like, here we go again, just another day at church. Lord, would you soften our hearts? to you? Would you help us to, to not overlook you in the everyday life, but you would give us eyes to see you clearly. So God, come meet us now. Be glorified here in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.